Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This episode of State of the Nova Nation is sponsored by our friends at Homefield. Introducing our new sponsor, Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis. Homefield brings you incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. They dig through the archives and history of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments to make thoughtful designs. Homefield launched its Villanova collection last Saturday, and this collection features 14 pieces of apparel, including t-shirts, hoodies, and crewnecks, all with vintage marks. I received my Nova Nation Homefield shirt this past week, and it completely exceeded my expectations. I love the design, the material is super soft, and for all my female Wildcat fans out there, the cut and the style is perfect to wear to a game and casual enough to wear to cheer on the cats. To explore the full collection, be sure to use the promo code VUHOOPS at checkout. That's VUHOOPS, all one word, all capital, for a discount on homefieldapparel.com to get all the apparel you need for March. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, I'm not crying. You're crying. Hmm. Because this is our final episode of the 2022 Villanova basketball season. How fast? We're both a, we're both a little emotional. How fast time flies? October 28th <sighs> was our first episode, of course, with, with Chris and Eugene. Uh, and us kind of taking the reins here. And here we are now as we record this on April 6th to be launched on uh, April 7th. Wow. And what a season we've gotten to uh, to be a part of as well. Right. (laughs) We said, Pat and I had kind of mentioned it behind the scenes for the past couple of weeks, and we weren't going to say anything until it actually happened. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. But hopefully our appearance on this show are taking it over from Chris and Eugene served as a little bit of a good luck charm and hopefully I, that can continue for the next few seasons I mean one for one on final four appearances right with, with us that's as the bad. host that's that's pretty yeah. good not a bad way to start no, not, <laughs> not a bad way to start at all <laughs> all right so we'll save most of the sentimental stuff for the end of this podcast when we of course thank everybody who went into this whole production of this season but we've got some really fun stuff first and that is The first half of this episode, we are going to recap the entirety of the 21-22 season in all of its glory. And then in the second half of the season, we are going to do a 2022-2023 preview. We'll talk about who stays, who goes. We know people are itching for that, but we, of course, have to give credit to what this season was. And Pat and I talked a lot about how we thought would be the best way to go about this episode. 
and we think it's questions. So we have a really good mailbag, our finally our final mailbag of the season at the end. And Pat and I are just going to volley questions back and forth to each other as we go through some of the highlights of the season. What do you think, Pat? I mean, who doesn't like a good game of 20 questions, right? Because that, that, <laughs> right? that is exactly what we're in for here is we just thought it would be the easiest way to uh, to try and recap some different moments and, and things throughout the season here and just to, to be able to put a bow on everything. Yeah, so it's weird to not have any games no. to preview or recap, but we're doing our best. We are absolutely doing our best. Well, I, and I know well, that this was... You say that. We do have a national champion since the last time we recorded. True. We should start on that. I believe you were correct. Thank you. Uh, not not my spread, but uh, <laughs> I was correct on the champion there. Hey, listen, it was a great game. It was really, really fun to watch is, is the best way you can put it. I I just wanted a really good game, you know, obviously yeah. without a full-on rooting interest in it. I was a little nervous once UNC started to pull away. The Kansas in the first half was most definitely not the Kansas that showed up against the Cats on Saturday nights. But uh, once Kansas really put things into high gear, North Carolina just wasn't able to keep up and the, the shots weren't falling. What a bizarre way for that game to end as well with the execution down the stretch. <laughs> oh boy, college basketball right there. But the Jayhawks are champions for now before it gets vacated. Yeah, I mean, execution down the stretch, injuries down the stretch, shots, decision-making, bodily functions. It was, <laughs> it was insane. It, that was probably the second best game I've watched since the Jalen Suggs buzzer beater last year against UCLA. What do you think about that? It was a great game. Uh, I'll give you that. It was, it's so funny because I was rooting for UNC. I know that uh, that goes against Villanova and and rolling Asmino and I'm sorry, but I thought UNC's story as a whole was, was cooler than Kansas's. And um, (laughs) I was just, so upset the entire first half because Villanova absolutely would have throttled that first half version <laughs> versus Kansas. And then I was getting a little bit more quiet in the second half when we saw that real version of them. But man, you talk about second half teams. I don't know if there's any team that is better in the second half than Kansas was in this entire tournament. Yeah, uh, I, I am quite happy that the godfather, Coach Mass's uh, record stays with Villanova yeah. as the only eight seed to, to finish out a national championship there. So uh, I had a big smile on my face at the end of that game. And, uh, you pretty know, it, cool. it, it capped what was a, a pretty crazy season in college basketball. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, now nine of the last 17 tournaments, Villanova has either won the national championship or lost to the eventual champion. Uh, it just makes me laugh because of course it's a coincidence but nine out of 17 it's kind of insane is it a coincidence it, uh, not what what percentage is that that's insane yeah, that's it's, insane it's pretty good yeah i i tell people that they immediately think that i'm wrong and then i just pull up a tweet because everybody's talking about it now and i get to prove them wrong which is nice oh, I but yeah helps. What what an insane turnaround. What an insane season for both of those teams. Of course, it will most likely be vacated in the upcoming <laughs> months, but we will focus on the action at hand. All right, so I know that this was your favorite thing when we were recapping or previewing Villanova games, but why don't you go through the numbers 
of the 2021-2022 season for Villanova if you've got them in front of you? Uh, you know I always have some numbers. <laughs> wanted to give you an out just in case. In me, thank you very much. So Villanova finished at 30-8 and eight for the season, 16-4 and four in the Big East, second place in the Big East for the regular season, of course, your Big East tournament champions, and of course, a Final Four appearance in New Orleans as the South Regional Champion. In terms of Ken Palm efficiency, they finished as the ninth best offense in the country and the 23rd best defense in the country. Your leading scorer was Colin Gillespie at about 16 points per game. Your leading rebounder was Jermaine Samuels at 7.1 ahead of Eric Dixon there. And of course, Villanova finished the season as the number one free throw shooting team of all time at an 83% clip. You did even better than I thought. Nice job. Oh, thank you. I ad-libbed <laughs> that, by the way. I didn't know you were going to ask me to go to numbers, so I'm, I'm trying. I love it. Yeah, it was disappointing. I mean, of course, you said half the things that I was going to say. Our first question is, how do you remember this season? So mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to go into first. And I have a couple of things, and I cheated for almost every single one of these questions because it's too hard to give one answer. I will remember this team as being Jay Wright's third Final Four appearance in the last six tournaments. What a remarkable statistic. It was also Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuel's fifth years because this was the year of the transfer portal, the first year of COVID eligibility, granting that extra year of eligibility because of the missed 2020 tournament. Not surprising that Gillespie and Samuels lead the team in those offensive categories, like you said. But I also think that this is the season where we let our expectations get so low after Nova's grueling (laughs) non-conference schedule. So we were so surprised and shocked and jubilation over how far this team got. But I think looking back, we all jumped the gun far too soon because this team was loaded with talent from the start. They, they certainly were. And yeah, of course things looked a little bleak for that stretch in December, but we know how things Uh, turned around. When I think of this season, I'm going to remember it as vindication and validation Mm. for, for Gillespie and Samuels, especially, you know, making that decision to come back for this extra season, use that COVID eligibility year, especially for Gillespie, of course, coming off the injury, you know, that, that you were referencing for him to come back, just take over this season, claw this team, be the leader, be such a star, especially scoring wise, you know, increase all his shooting numbers, uh, the free throw line. He was he always hit his shots that that's how I'm going to remember is that that these two kind of pillars of the program decided they were going to come back, run it back for one more year and brought this team to a final four. The other part that I will remember it is Villanova's defensive improvement, just Mm. what the cats were able to do on the defensive side of the ball and how it really picked up um, during the second half of the season as well was so impressive. It was a point that we discussed at nauseum throughout the second half of the season with how great things have turned out. Uh, And of course they they finished as the 23rd best defense, according to Ken Palm in in efficiency there. So those are two things that I'll look at for how I will think back to this season. Yeah, people almost certainly got nauseous with us talking about defense and free throws because that was another thing I forgot to mention. I will always remember how good this team was at making free throws and how spoiled we will be in the future when no team literally in history might ever match up to how good this team Hmm. was from the line this year. That's, That's how good we're talking. And 
going back to your Colin and Jermaine point, that was the broadcast point every single game, specifically on Colin Gillespie, coming off of the injury, coming back for one more year, wanting to run it back with, with his guys, and Jermaine was in his shadow. Then Colin goes out and wins the Bob Cousy Award. He is named Big East Player of the Year. But I don't think people are talking enough about Jermaine Samuels being named the South Region Most Outstanding Player. After a year of ups and downs for him, when he was a frustrating non-factor through very important games of this season, he showed up when it matters most. And it's a cliche. And I know that you and I have given him a lot of credit, but on a national stage, I don't think people have appreciated enough what Jermaine has done to this program. You mentioned a pillar. That's a perfect word. His jersey might not end up in the rafters, but specifically in the Big East tournament and in the NCAA tournament, this team loses very early on if it's not for Jermaine. Yeah, Samuels finished with double digits in five out of the last seven games that, yes, that he played it's in. That's crazy. When it was, you know, a, a struggle to reach that at times, especially in the middle of the season for him. So that's just the scoring portion of it. We know Jermaine's impact goes way beyond that. Of course, one of the team leaders, all he does defensively, I just told you that he was the team's leading rebounder as well. But Jermaine Samuels absolutely deserves, you know, his due for, for everything that he went through in this program and everything he's been able to contribute. As you said, South region's most outstanding player, a region that was loaded with talent. Um, there's one man standing at the end of it, and it was Jermaine Samuels as your most outstanding player from it, which is a, a pretty cool thing to come away with. Pretty cool way to end your career. Not yeah. bad. Not bad. And All right, our I next one. Sorry, go ahead. I say the simplest way to remember this is it's a final four team. (laughs) We could have just answered it in a couple words there. There's only, you know, this, of course, the seventh in uh, in Villanova's history and and Jay Wright's fourth uh, with the cats here. So it doesn't hurt when you've got a trip to New Orleans there and and really cement your place in history with yet another final four. Bought some final four merch today. Oh, you bought it today. Yeah, I yeah, I, I got it on Sunday to try and help my heart after Saturday's game. Yeah, obviously wish it could have been. A little further i was saving myself me too but i felt like felt like it was it was time and some of the some of the shirts are really cool i uh, i got the hat very very okay for it nice yeah. vintage for you of yeah. course <laughs> all right our next question is what was your biggest surprise from this season yeah i think there are so many ways that you could potentially go with this uh i go back basically to our preview episode and talking about one player in particular and it was eric dixon and, and wondering what he could really turn into. Cause of course this was going to be such a large step for him. Someone that was not a starter last year, played limited minutes, you know, at times didn't see the floor as much as he probably would have liked to. And what does Eric go out and do? He starts 38 games. He averages nine points, which is tripling his point output from a year ago. He's second on the team in rebounding. He took over a game against UConn in the middle of the year and beat Adama Sonogo and beat the Huskies. He showed a three-point shot where the man shot 49% from beyond the arc. <laughs> that could just be the biggest surprise right there is that Eric Dixon yeah. shot 49% um, from three. Um I was so impressed with Eric Dixon. I did not think he would make this much of a leap this season. And we saw it and we saw it early. And so that would be my biggest surprise. Yeah. I specifically didn't pick Dixon because I knew you would. So that would also (laughs) not even because we talked about it. I just knew that also was my answer. I think that is the without a doubt biggest surprise. I mean, nobody could have anticipated the impact Dixon would have had. Yes. They could have hoped 
that he would be this big. But think back about all the conversations everybody had about Villanova's lack of size and their Mm -hmm. lack of depth and how Dixon especially lived up to those expectations and overachieved them. Mine also goes back to the beginning of the season. I think one of the biggest surprises was Brandon Slater's offense during the non-conference schedule. Yeah. It obviously fell off quite a bit. Did resurface a little bit in that Kansas Final Four game. But I was blown away by how explosive Slater was on offense. (laughs) Some of those games, he was the leading scorer. I don't have the stats off the top of my head, but averaging between 16 and 20 points per game, the sky Mm -hmm. was the limit, limit for him. And even if that type of scoring didn't follow him throughout the season, him as a threat was something that other teams weren't anticipating, which allowed the other guys on Nova's roster to become more explosive. So again, you might've been disappointed with how his offense kind of plateaued throughout the course of the season, but establishing himself as an offensive threat was certainly not something we saw last year. And hopefully he continues to build on Yeah. Certainly struggled with injury in January, especially when uh, when things looked really bleak for him, but to your point of going, you know, pre-conference, I can't say I thought out of the gates, Brandon Slater was going to score 17 points against Mount St. Mary's and 23 against Howard (laughs) was not, did not exactly, you know, come to mind in my expectations there. And even to give him credit post January, you know, once he started to heal up, he did get into much more uh, of an offensive zone. There was really important against UConn in the Big E semifinal, and finished the season with 16 points against Kansas. So uh, I'm with you on Slater. That's an answer that's going to pop up for me very, very soon. Uh, yeah, to, okay. or, <laughs> very soon. But Slater absolutely uh, surprising for his progression. We know all he does on the defensive side of the ball, but becoming an offensive threat that was uh, definitely a, a very welcome addition for this team. Yeah, I feel the same way. And then another thing that's obviously wasn't positive, but Nova's back-to-back losses to Baylor and Creighton were extremely surprising how uncharacteristic Villanova looked. But then that tied back into the point I said earlier about how low we let our expectations get after that. And then it ended up being a good surprise because of how far Villanova made it. So that ended up being a positive thing. We'll take it. (laughs) But that loss to Creighton in Omaha was, was something. Let's just say that it was oh, something somewhere in middle America as John Ross says, <laughs> that was brutal. Was it, wasn't that a Friday night game too? Yeah. Um, it was Biggie's the, play. whatever their dollar, whatever. Remember you said dollar that? beer night. <laughs> yeah. Dollar beer night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, Oh, that was a rough one. Yeah. Baylor of course was a different caliber opponent. Didn't hurt any less because it was a historical loss, but yeah, that Creighton one was, it was not a great way to, Start the conference schedule. It obviously ended up being okay. Moving into our next question, <laughs> which is actually one that I forgot. So you're going to have to carry this one. That's okay. Best moment of this season. Oh, there, there are certainly different options here. And of course there are options here when you're on a team that goes to a final four. For mine, I, I zeroed in on one thing and it was, of course it had to be Colin Gillespie. And mm-hmm. for me, it was one of those dagger threes that he made throughout mm. the season. And the one that I point to is his made three against Creighton in the Big East Tournament Championship game. Why I say that moment exactly is just, it kind of goes into, you know, why I remember this or how I remember this season as as validation and vindication for Colin Gillespie to come back and, and hit 
the shot that puts this team back on top in the Big East tournament, you know, something that they hadn't won since 2019, of course, with 2020, the tournament being canceled and just the, the disaster that happened against Georgetown in 2021 with Gillespie being out, of course, through mm-hmm. injury for him to be the guy that hits the three there to give Villanova another Big East tournament championship to complete you know, his record of, I believe he, was it that he never lost in a Big East tournament game uh, throughout his career? It it might be, I I should confirm that before I say that, but whatever it is, his record is incredible uh, in the Big East tournament. And on top of that, just being the fact of what was talked about all season long, about how good this conference is and how much of a dogfight it is. And every single night they have to go out there against these difficult opposition. Well, Villanova found a way to get back on top of the conference and be your champions of the Big East, and that is why I go with that moment. Yeah, and it was because of that shot from Gillespie. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. That's That shot might be something I talk about later, so oh. I will leave it there. The first thing I actually thought of when I read this was the moment when Villanova beat Houston and Colin ran over to Justin Moore. Mm-hmm. That truly was – I don't think I'll forget that. You hear all that – stuff about Villanova being a close team and in college basketball in general, the way coaches and players talk to the media, they're so close. They're so tight knit. They're a family. You almost think blah, blah, blah. When you hear that, but to see all of those guys running over to a sobbing Justin Moore on the bench after he probably knew that he just tore his Achilles and would be out for the remainder of the season. That was an incredible moment. It certainly was. And if anything, it also shows the the culture that's, you know, built yeah. up and, and talked about ad nauseum, of course, for Villanova, <laughs> but we'll mention it as well. Uh, just, you know, the, the belief and the camaraderie that these guys have together to go over there to Justin Moore that, you know, is devastated and to see the reaction that all these guys did and to make sure he was a part of the celebration as well as le- at least as much as he could be a really, really special moment. Um, yeah. And I think it shows kind of what this team is made of. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Yeah, special is a good way to put it. So here is where I will talk about Eric Dixon because he is my most improved player. Again, going back to those preseason expectations, he did learn under Jeremiah Robinson Earl. We knew that conditioning physically-wise, he was in much better shape than he was last year. That non-medical red shirt was a really, really good decision for him as it is for potentially the future of some of the guys in this program, Mm -hmm. but for Dixon to level up against the Hunter Dickinson's and the John Carlton's and the Adamas Nogos and the Ryan Kalkbrenner's and the Nate Watson's, and you could go on for him to best those guys. And by best, I mean either eliminate them or have Villanova come out on top because he neutralized them offensively or defensively. Nobody thought Dixon could do that at 6'8". Yes, his minutes reduced as the season went on, but that was just because Jay Wright found a niche that no other team in college basketball had. Nothing can be taken away from how much Dixon improved offensively and defensively and how apparent it will be now that in the next few years, the Big East will run through Eric Dixon. I truly believe that. I'm, as I said, I'm very impressed with Dixon. So I have, I kind of went through all my reasoning before, so I won't rehash (laughs) it, but uh, a very worthy choice there for most improved. 
Who do you got from this one? Uh, this is where we're flip-flopping because we, <laughs> now I will take Brandon Slater for me okay. as most improved. So I'll just do it very quickly. Cause I know you so eloquently, I uh, kind of put a, a lot of my thoughts out there already on Slater, but just to look at slate, as you say, the progression, another guy that had played a ton, but wasn't, you know, a starter throughout his career ends up starting 38 games, doubles his minute output and really changes the type of player that mm. he was just to look at it for Slater. We talked about offensively where he, became a factor, doubled his point output. He quadrupled the amount of three-point attempts that he took year over year, and he tripled the amount of makes. So just turning that into a a three-point shooter that could shoot it, sometimes he didn't shoot it as often as we would have actually liked to see him do that. That was really impressive. And the biggest thing for Brandon Slater is the free throw progression. I've Mm. mentioned it before, but I'll do it again. As a freshman, Brandon Slater shot 0% from the foul line. It was a through two attempt, so I wouldn't read too much into it, but 0% as a sophomore, 40% as a junior, 60%. And now as a senior last season, he shot 88% from the free throw line. That is an incredible jump in progression. 88%. What? That is not a typo. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. He became an offensive player. And Jerry also was maybe the most vocal about Slate to begin the season. Oh, very Remember that? much he, so. Oh, right, yes. All he did was talk about how much work Slater put in this offseason, and it showed up plain and simple. He was arguably the most improved player in this roster. He was in conversation for most improved player in the conference at the beginning of the season, and even though he didn't get that award, Villanova isn't where they are without him. Without that free throw shooting, he did – guard the toughest guys on the opposing offenses. He did everything. He did everything. He was so physical. I do think that's a tough thing about going over there. They keep their injury news so close to their chest. Hmm. Yes. I think that Brandon Slater ankle injury was super hindering. And unfortunately we didn't get to see the the full peak of what he could be, but he still did pretty damn well. I'd say so. Yeah. Jay called his shot in the blue white scrimmage where where he talked up Brandon Slater for a solid five minutes about the progression that Slate had made over the summer. uh, Cause he most certainly did. And we saw it this season. Yeah. And I had an A and a B for this one. And I just want to mention Caleb Daniels. I'm sure we'll Mm -hmm. talk about him more in a little bit, but he was a borderline liability last season in, in terms of drawing fouls and missing defensive assignments. He wasn't a good shooter. It was mostly because of COVID. And he developed myocarditis and he couldn't do anything for months and months when he was dealing with a serious heart issue. Fast forward to two weeks ago, not, not, I don't know what I'm saying. Two weeks ago, last week, Hmm. he was as good of a, of a replacement for Justin Moore as just about anybody. People were still favoring Villanova against Kansas in the final four, even without Justin Moore, because Caleb Daniels so seamlessly fit into the starting five to make that type of jump is incredible. And he was also one of the most important players on this team. So underrated all year long, that shot got really hot at the right time. And he was just so much more. He was so much smarter this year on offensive on on offense and defense. And I think that work paid off. Yeah. It became really efficient and, and an yeah. integral part to everything this team did really as a six starter through most of the season. Yeah. And of course, slotted in there in the final four. So cannot say enough good things uh, about Caleb and the progression that we saw. 
The next question is my favorite. I don't oh, know what good. you're going to say for this one. I'm really not sure. It's favorite game. And I would love to hear what other people think too, because there are a lot of good options here. There are. So we have two questions kind of rounded. We have game of the year and favorite game, which you yeah. can take in, in any way you want. So you want to start with favorite game? Yeah, let's do that. You go first. Okay. You, you do favorite game. I'll do game of the year and then we'll flip flop. Sure. Uh, favorite game for me, Providence part one. It had to be, <laughs> of course, with, with everything that went through this season for this to be Providence's magical season, you know, at that point, of course, where they finished, of course, at, at first place in the big East, but we're really on, on a tear at that point for Nova to go into the dunk and light them up to the point of 89 points. Another Colin Gillespie three, mind you as well to, uh, <laughs> to finish that game out. Oh, the satisfaction when that game ended. It was a late game. I remember that on, on a Tuesday night. And uh, for the Cats to come out victorious there, it really made you believe that, okay, Villanova can make a charge here uh, at this Big East, Big East regular season. Excuse me. Of course, Providence ended up finishing things out. But, oh, it was just it tasted so good after. Crazy. It's almost like we're on the same wavelength or something. Because I said the first Providence game at the dunk was my game of the year. Fair enough. (laughs) Gillespie had 33. I think that game proved to me that no matter how the records ended, no matter who came away with the regular season title, Villanova was the most talented team in the Big East. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. That was an insane game. And the environment of the dunk. I don't think anything, yeah, anything came close to the environment in that game, maybe until the Big East tournament. No, I can't believe they didn't try to open up another leak from the ceiling. Um, to, to try and stop villain over there, but you know, the, the cats came out on top. Oh, please, it's the last episode. I got to take one more parting shot at them. Um. So I, I knew that that had to be one of my picks, yes. but I think my favorite game was the 66 to 65 win over St. John's in the Big East quarterfinal. Dude, you can't be serious. We flip flopped both flipped. of them. I had that as my game of the year. 17 point deficit. In the second half, they could not make anything. Their shots were not falling in the first. They had eight turnovers. They had zero points in the paint because, remember, that was the Jermaine Samuels back spasms game. Mm -hmm. The first game in the tournament when we were faced with the possibility that Jermaine Samuels might be hurt for the remainder of the season. or Maybe that's a little dramatic, but no Samuels in the first half. He comes back at halftime and lights it up. That was the beginning of this 507 stretch that Pat said at the beginning where he scored in double figures. He was unbelievable in that game. Everything hit at the end. And that single game then gave me hope every time Villanova was down for the rest of the Big East tournament and the NCAA tournament and why I couldn't turn the Kansas game off because there was something in the back of my head that kept saying they've been, they've come down from 17. They've looked this bad so far this year and they were able to come back from it. So that the, the emotions of that game when Slater nailed that free throw with, I think less than three seconds left to give them the Mm -hmm. lead. That was my favorite game of this season. Yeah. I did for me kind of on game of the year, (laughs) so I, I, I won't rehash it, but as you were kind of alluding to, that was the game where this team really showed that they morphed into killers down the stretch, something that they had struggled with so mightily throughout the season, not only to come back, of course, but to finish off that comeback, win that game and carry that through the Big East tournament and NCAA tournament for me, game of the year, just being down, being down 17 to a team that was on fire, basically playing at home. Um, really, really impressive. Yeah. Good start to the Big East tournament for I'd sure. Say so, For sure. 
And then I guess we'll wrap up here with one play more. of the year. Well, uh, I'm, do you want to start with this one? Yeah, I'll go first. I had the Colin Gillespie made three at the end of the Creighton game. I had the Colin Gillespie made three at the end of the first Providence game. I had the Colin Gillespie made three at the end of the Michigan game. You see a theme. A little bit. But I think my play of the year was Eric Dixon's made three to seal the Ohio State game. Because all of those Colin threes got me out of my seat, pumping my fist, Colin Dagger. You and I had talked about it. Mm -hmm. But for Eric Dixon, of all players, to take – to even take that three, Hmm. let alone make it, to beat this Ohio State team, yes, Villanova probably would have won it otherwise. But for Dixon to be the player that sealed it was an incredible moment. As our friend Bill Raftery says, onions. And that's exactly what that was. It was just (laughs) onions to take and make that shot in that situation. Was so proud of it there and and what a cool moment. And just to take it even further too, you obviously aren't thinking this in the moment, but Eric Dixon then became a threat from three after that point, if he wasn't already. So then you've got Gillespie and Moore and Daniels and Arch and Antoine and Dixon and Samuels and Slater taking threes. And who can beat that team? And nobody could until Kansas. That was sad. I found one team that could beat them, but we don't need to focus on that. <laughs> until Kansas. Yes, of course. My, my player of the year, I like where you were thinking with the threes. It came down to one man. And it was which play I was going to take. So it's Brandon Slater. Absolutely electric Slater, of course. I thought about going with the dunk over Providence at the Fenner yeah. Pavilion. Uh, I was also lucky enough to be there with my dad. And it was on my side. And I was behind the basket uh, with him. So really got a fantastic view of that. Uh, oh, and, he- and hearing yeah. the pavilion uh, explode like it did. So that has a special place in my heart. But it's still go with Brandon Slater. And this time... I go with his block against UConn in the Big East Mm. tournament semifinals. Just knowing how important of a game that was, it was a grind against the Huskies that night. UConn was trying to make a run to close things out and and come back against Villanova. And what does Brandon Slater do but absolutely take the life out of that program with the clean block coming from behind and Villanova holds on. And of course rides that to a big East tournament championship. I love that play. What an incredible instinctual play and athletic play from Slater. And uh, you know, with it being a biggie semifinal against a rival, like you like UConn, my play of the year. Yeah. You must've had a hard time picking one specific one. Cause he had some nasty dunks too. Yeah. He had probably the most highlight real eye popping plays of the season. Slater did. I think so. Yep. Yeah. Caleb Banos also had that nasty one-handed dunk. I don't remember who it was against. I know the dunk you're talking about. I can't think of it either. That dunk was so nasty, but I can't remember who it was against. But yeah, I mean, again, this was a final four team led by two fifth-year seniors that went and got through, that's really the only way to put it, the hardest non-conference schedule that anybody in the country had to do. They shot the best free throws than anybody else in college basketball has ever done it. They were an incredible three-point shooting team. They lacked depth, but they still made it as far as they did. You wouldn't think that this team was vindicated, but they were. That's why what you said was so good, because this team did have a chip on its shoulder, even though it was Villanova, and they still exceeded expectations. I think you have so much to be proud of when you think back about this team. Of course, it's not the result that we hoped, but what an insane year. What an insane year. 
Um, so, so many different things to think back of so many special moments, as we said, a, a Big East tournament uh, championship, 30 wins yet again, a final four appearance, just uh, an incredible season for Jay Wright squad one more time. And speaking of Jay Wright, I have one more question for you to close things out. Oh. It, it's the only way we could close this out. Do the suits make a comeback in 2022, 2023? I will sure. You know, it. I will turn off my mic now and hide. <laughs> you know I don't answer suit questions. <laughs> I'm sorry, the it was fact, too easy for me. The fact that Jay Wright did not pack any suits, I saw that. which I, for one, think is a ridiculous way to spend your time as a reporter or a writer or whoever whoever <laughs> got that information from Jay Wright. It's just not a not a necessary question to ask. But the fact that Jay Wright didn't bring suits to the final four, was it? Or was it the entire NCAA the, tournament? It was definitely the final four. Yeah, okay, that's what I was thinking too. I think that pretty much closes the book on it might. the Jay Wright suit era, for better or for worse. Hey, if, if only Villanova can start selling those quarter zips that the coaching staff wears in the oh. bookstore, um, let's move towards doing that, Nova, because <laughs> I, I will give you a large amount of money. Basically call it a donation. Um, if, yeah, uh, if a lot of people would those. be donating a lot of money, that's for yeah, sure. I would say that's so. That's for sure. So you might think we forgot, but we did not. No, no. We did a Big East Pick'em Challenge with the Full 40 Podcast, who's also been producing a ton of awesome content. Both of them are down in New Orleans for the Final Four. We did a Pick'em with them. Oh, I don't even... Was it Jan- December? January? Uh, it had to be like mid-December because it was right before yeah, Big East play started. Right before the, co- the conference play started, we picked every single game. And Pat woke up early this morning I did. to compile the scores so that he could give us the results of this challenge. So Pat, I, I give you the honors. Wow. To read them I, up. I, I'm quite excited. to, so of course, <laughs> a, a conference play plus conference tournament in the making here with the four of us making all of our picks and how things netted out were Chris finished at 16 points in fourth. We had Emma in third at 20 points. Rob had 23 points. Oh, I had 23 points. Okay. So it goes to a tiebreaker for the winner. And I won the pick'em because I predicted a 16 and four record for Villanova in conference while Rob predicted 15 and five. State of the Nova Nation is victorious in our full 40 crossover. (laughs) I love that. Congrats. Nice job. Thank you. Thank you. Obviously, just I feel like I just wanted an Oscar. Um, what, you what should a, be getting <laughs> donations from the public. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what a big award. Um, but yes, <laughs> I, I was able to Rob actually to his credit won the regular season. Yeah. He had some good picks. He had, he Creighton, had great right? picks. Yes. He had yeah. Creighton. Um, he had Marquette away. He, he just had some, some really great picks there finished with 23 points in the regular season where it was one was that I was the only one to pick Villanova to win the big East tournament. Of course wow. they did, which put me in a position to go into a tiebreaker with Rob where I got him on one loss. So wow. well, pretty good showing though, from all of us, I will say. We did do a pretty good job. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember Chris had Butler, which probably was his undoing. I thought St. John's was going to be better than they were. I mean, I guess you and I both thought UConn was going to get the better of Nova throughout the entire season and in the tournament for me, at least. 
but hopefully that becomes an annual thing. That was fun. It's a cool way to, to track the progress and get all of your thoughts before conference play starts on paper. So then you can look back and realize how wrong you were. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But no, shout out to those guys for helping set it up to, and their team with Brian and Rachel as well. It's just, you know, a a ton of fun to do. And um, there we have it. Yeah. Congrats again. Big, big win. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> before we go any further, though, we do have some news from our sponsors at 199. 19.9 creates original designs tailored to the nostalgia of the epic moments in college basketball history. They celebrate the eras, players, coaches, and the rivalries that make college basketball the sport we love. And speaking of rivalries, check out the apparel collection from 19.9 of Villanova University and the University of Connecticut. 19.9 restocked your favorite apparel and added new vintage items. So go to 19.9.com. That's numbers 19 and the word nine, all one word.com to grab the nostalgic gear you need. So people, you have made it through about half an hour, 40 minutes of us recapping the season. And now you have reached the moment you have been waiting for. Hmm. Our 2022, 2023 Villanova basketball season preview. I'll I'll say more of season outlook because for a season preview, you're going to have to come back and listen to us in October. True. (laughs) We cannot, we do not nearly have the information we need for a full preview. And you know how we like to do our previews. Yeah. Just just a little bit. Outlook. That is the perfect way to say it. Of course you've listened so far. So you know that this will be question based. A lot of these questions were asked in the same sort of words by people in our mailbag. So we're going to do the best we can to shout some people out as we answer. When we do our mailbag, we won't answer them again, but we will mention the people who asked. They're going to be the big time questions that you've been wondering. So I'm excited for this. Of course, we have a ton of information that we don't know right now that we yeah. will know in the coming weeks and months. So when we get back, get back started again in October and November, we'll have a much different preview than the outlook we have right now. A little tough to do this first question when we, or this is part of why I should say it's a little tough to do a preview here. Cause as we go into this first question, we talk about who's leaving and who's coming back here for the Villanova Wildcats. As we know who is leaving, of course, Jermaine Samuels, Colin Gillespie, Demir Cosby, Roundtree will be on their way out. Who's coming back is where things get interesting. Of course, now with college basketball free agency, as we will call mm-hmm. it with the transfer portal, you know, anyone can leave at any time. Uh, there's the obvious ones to look at as well, which is Brandon Slater, of course, did just complete his senior year. However, he does have the extra year due to COVID. Same thing with Caleb Daniels has the ability to either come back or forego that extra year. Where are you leaning on the who's leaving and who's coming back so far? Yeah, of course. So this will all be prediction-based because we don't know. Pat and I, unfortunately, do not have any intel that you guys don't have. I'm going to make a bold prediction, though. I believe that there will be no transfers and Brandon Slater and Caleb Daniels will stay. Ooh. I think they will keep it in-house. I, I mean, I, that's actually not true. I we'll, we'll get to transfers specifically, but I don't think any players currently in the Villanova program will transfer to a different school. And I think Slater and Daniels though they don't have the injury that Colin Gillespie had that, that made him want to stay. I think Slater and Daniels have a little bit of unfinished business, both of them hitting their stride their senior year and feeling like they have more in the tank for one more year that now they can take advantage of. Yeah. So I think Slater will be back. 
I, I think it makes a lot of sense for him. You know, he's with Jermaine Samuels being out now. Of course, Samuels is a very similar player to Slater. Mm-hmm. Slater's role has a chance to only expand further and let him be a little more in the spotlight, which is only a good for only a good thing for a guy, you know, chasing a potential NBA roster invite or, or summer camp tryout, whatever it is. So I, I think it would be in his best interest to be able to stay and kind of grow into that role, see if he can continue to progress as a shooter. So I do believe he's going to stay. Caleb Daniels is the interesting one because go back a few weeks ago and I wondered if he would leave. And it's not a point of just leaving to get out of the program. It's more that you have to remember for Caleb, this is already year five of him Mm. in in college basketball here. He had, you know, his years under his belt at Tulane where he had, where he had two years, he was a transfer pre NCAA redoing their transfer regulation. So we had to sit out a year at Villanova, of course, has now spent two years here. I wondered if that's it then, you know, because it's already been five years basically for Caleb. Is it time or would he look at it as time to move on? Because, of course, I think we would all like Caleb Daniels back. Mentioned it last week, listening to Jay Wright on Mike Francesa's podcast, kind of said Caleb was going to move into more of a, you know, scoring role as he moved into a starter during next season. I'm going to take that as a good sign and say Caleb Hmm. Daniels is going to come back here. But that was kind of the thinking around it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I had forgotten that that red shirt, is it called a red shirt or that just that transfer yep, red shirt. that they had yeah, red shirt, where yeah. they had to sit out a, a year? Those guys got totally screwed because the year oh, the rules changed, changed right after them. Another thing that I think is something to note is for some of these stars and for all of these guys that are debating taking that extra year of eligibility, NIL rules are in place now. So there is a new opportunity for stars to reap the benefits of their name, image, and likeness financially that they couldn't do all the way before this. Mm -hmm. So not that Slater and Daniels, not that that next step right now would necessarily be the NBA, but they can take another year, reap financial benefits, and also continue to grow their game so that next year they're in a better spot if the NBA is the next next step for them. So I know that that's, an option for a lot of other guys too. Like I've heard it for Oscar Sheway and Kofi Coburn. Yep. Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy. They can make a lot of money in the NCAA without having to test the NBA waters where they might, yeah, they might get a draft pick or they might not. And then they can't go back to school at that point. So that's definitely an interesting thing to be thinking about. Yeah, for, for sure. I think you nailed it there. NIL has affected, has had a big impact on how these guys look at it. Cause say you are going to be a second round draft pick or maybe, uh, maybe be a second round draft pick. Why not come back for another year, try and grow mm-hmm. your stock, sign an NIL mm-hmm. deal somewhere, make some money off of it and, and try to grow your profile there. So I do think that's actually going to contribute to some guys staying a little longer, um, exactly. which would be interesting here. And then, you know, John Palme and uh, Ed Marshall were asking a little bit specifically here. So you said, Brian Antoine, you don't believe he's going to transfer. Does Trey Patterson think about transferring? Mm. Just, just cementing myself on the Brian Antoine part. I think his time to transfer would have been freshman year when the hype around him was still so high, when it was just that shoulder injury, I believe was his first one that was holding him back. And then he wasn't getting as much playing time as he hoped. I think if he believed Villanova wasn't the program for him, he would have transferred at that point. I think these three years now, He knows the Villanova program. He knows the system. He trusts his coach and his coaching staff. 
and hopefully that can continue to grow. And then as he gets healthy, he can get some real playing time. Yeah. I, and- Trey, oh. Yeah. Trey Patterson, I kind of feel the same way. He mm-hmm. came early because he believed in the system. And if you believe in the system, unless it's a cool Swider situation where to me, at least it felt like the coaching staff went to him and said, I'm not sure if you fit in our plans anymore and we want the best for you. I don't know if I'm getting that vibe in the Antoine or Patterson situation. Yeah, for for Antoine, just like Caleb Daniels, it's actually a change of opinion for me here, where if you asked me a month ago, I believed he was going to look to transfer out. But with the circumstances with Justin Moore going down now Mm. as well, I wonder if Brian Antoine just looks to say, finally, give him that first summer where he's healthy and he can practice with the team throughout the entire summer, knowing that they're, you know, Colin Gillespie, of course, is going out. Justin Moore, we have no idea when or if he's going to be able to play next year. Maybe Brian Antoine's best shot at playing time and and being able to do so on a national stage is now at Villanova. So, well, I thought he was going to transfer a month ago. I now believe he stays here. Trey Patterson would be one that I'd be pretty surprised if he transferred. I, I I understand many people talk a ton about how the transfer portal has changed the game, and it most certainly has. Uh, and Villanova would be naive to think it has not changed the game and how players look at it. But there is a certain understanding for when these players come in, how they're going to develop. Jay Wright talked about it very recently, that they try to be very honest with recruits and younger players as they come in playing, planning out their playing time year over year. So while it was disappointing that Trey Patterson did not play as much as I think any of us would have liked to have seen this year, I believe he comes back for another year. Yeah. And that doesn't mean he can't make a big leap next year either. No, it's only his sophomore year next year. Right. Because he came in halfway through the season that raised our expectations to honestly an unrealistic level. We didn't know at the time, but that's what it, that's what it was now. And, and it is, Jay Wright is not quiet about the fact that Villanova isn't for everybody. It wasn't for Javon Quinterly. Mm-hmm. It just isn't for some guys. They seem very candid about what the playing time will be like, like you said. And if you don't believe in that and you don't feel like that's for you, then it's not. Then go, then go somewhere else. And that's why I think the culture is so strong at Villanova because these guys buy into it. So, yes, maybe you get in, you don't love it, but I don't think – Brian Antoine is sitting around crying about playing time anymore. I think we're past that at this point in his college career. And hopefully my God, something can break the right way for him and he can have a healthy year and we can finally see what that potential will look like when he's fully healthy. Yeah. He needs the playing time. So it's uh, but uh, I think, I think there's potential for it to come here. Next question off of it. What is your projected starting five? Yeah, this is so contingent on more. Oh, it's on everything. uh, It's everything. I actually don't know a ton about Achilles injuries. It doesn't seem like they're as long as ACLs. Oh, no, they're they're longer than ACLs. They're longer? I don't expect Justin Moore to play at all next year is my – it's either he's going to come back in the late winter would be my guess, so some part in mid-January or February, or he misses the entire season is my guess. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Achilles is the worst thing you can have. (laughs) Well, that's disappointing. Yeah. I I had thought like winter – I had thought after non-conference, maybe beginning of conference. That's best case scenario. Of course, everyone heals differently. So there there is certainly a chance. I know how I am looking at it is planning without him. And if he's in, great. Yeah, that is the very realistic, very pat way to think about it. (laughs) Thank you. If if you've listened to us before, you know that that's the very pat way of thinking about it. Okay, so 
you and I both said that we believed Slater and Daniels will come back. So I had planned with that. I think Daniels, Slater, Dixon are the three locks. This is where things get interesting. And Mm -hmm. I think this is where we can talk about the incoming class. Because you have a five-star and two four-stars coming in. Cam Whitmore, Brendan Housen, and Mark Armstrong. Whitmore is the small forward, the one who's been getting all the headlines lately because of his astounding performance in the McDonald's All-American game. Literally astounding. Housen's the shooting guard. and Armstrong is more of a combo point guard shooting guard mix. I believe, and then this is where we'll talk about a lot, everything centered this year about around Jay Wright not being willing to play freshman. I think Cam Whitmore could earn himself a starting spot. Ooh, you do. And I do believe that Jordan Longino will at least be in the plans to also take a spot. Interesting, interesting. I like where you're going there. So I'm similar. Um, I have Caleb Daniels, Brandon Slater, and Eric Dixon, of course. Mm -hmm all contingent on Daniels and Slater coming right. back because that's very important. Oh, yeah. If they're not here, we're going to have to do an entirely different season preview. That's entirely that, different. That's why this is all a guess right now. It's just yeah. a team outlook. Um, I think Jordan Longino starts next year. I, okay. I think you saw that that Jay Wright clearly is very interested in what Jordan can bring. We saw it defensively. I expect him to only grow as more of a shooter and more of a scorer as he gets up to speed and rehabs from that meniscus tear. And so that leaves one spot. I think Cam Whitmore most certainly has a shot to claim it. If he just blows everyone's socks off when he gets Mm -hmm. in here, because it's not true to think that Jay Wright will not play freshman. As you said, in the cert, in the right circumstances, he will. Uh, I think the other possibility here is that a transfer comes in and mm-hmm. is uh, is starting in that position. I will be surprised, but leave it open that Brian Antoine could be a starter. He would just need to show uh, a decent amount of progress here. And while we know Jay Wright trusts Chris Archidiacono, I think he has started to really tunnel him more as a guy that gives some other players blow off the bench and can come in as a ball handler there. But I don't think he's going to crack the starting lineup. It, it could all change, you know, because this is contingent on either bringing in a transfer point guard or turning Caleb Daniels into more of a ball handler. Um, mm. But that's all things we'll talk about more later. Yes, that is the primary concern. Because before you said a transfer, I was going to ask you if you thought Caleb Daniels would be the primary ball handler. Because if we're talking about Longino and Whitmore and having two spots as opposed to one, that means Daniels is transitioning into that point role mm-hmm. without more. And that's something that's going to be very interesting to monitor because for better or for worse, we saw a little bit about a little bit of that against Kansas because Villanova was without more. You saw Daniels bringing up the ball a lot because Colin did a really good job off ball. I'm not sure that that's his role in his fifth year to experiment something new. He was the primary scorer at Tulane. And I think he really thrived in that scoring role mm-hmm. this year. But I wonder being the distributor along with the handler, I wonder if that's just too much of a change this late for him where there could be other options in the transfer portal. So I kind of lean that way too. I think they're going to target a ball handler. Yeah, it would be a big transition for him. It's possible. Yeah, I, I think Caleb could do it. Not but- that he can't do it. No, yeah. sure. But otherwise, with Justin Moore going out, there is not the obvious guy that is going to be a primary ball handler other than Chris Archidiacono, of course, could fit. Yeah. And Angelo Brizzy is a wild card in all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he can be a primary ball handler there. Of course, redshirted this season. Um, 
So that is where your biggest question marks are going to come in. Yeah, we've obviously talked about Arch the least, but he has a little bit of experience in Gillespie's wake Yeah, last year with that MCL injury. He did a decent enough job. You obviously worry about the defense in his case. A thing I just want to talk about too, and we should have said this when we were talking about Slater, but it's so easy to criticize all of these star prospects, especially because as Villanova, as Villanova's name grows, they continue to get better and better prospects. Cam Whitmore is going to have a levy of expectation on him next year. No matter how he performs on day one, I think we need to think about Slater as the shining example of what a career at Villanova looks like. Mm -hmm. You do not have to go in freshman year and be a Colin Gillespie contributing 10 points in 20 minutes as a freshman. You can be a Slater and get incredibly better year after year, and then be the senior contributing the way that Slater was contributing. There are obviously expectations and differences between that, depending on who you are. Like if there isn't a ball handler and let's say Cam Whitmore was, and he was that big or Villanova had landed a Trevor Keels this year, you would expect that guy to go in and perform, but it's also okay to give these guys a little bit of time and let them have the time and the conditioning and the shack fit underneath them so that they can become a player like Slater in time. Certainly. Yeah. Just, just a quick correction. I think you were thinking of Jeremiah with 10 points as a freshman. I wish oh, yeah, Colin put you. in 10 as a freshman. No, <laughs> no, no, no. All, all good there. And uh, other case in point to go with it. Hello, Phil Booth, you know, someone that, yeah. that sticks around for a long time. As we know, Villanova guys can leave, you know, you see Amari Spellman spent one, really two years, but you know, one, of course, playing year, Jeremiah, Sadiq, there have been guys that have started to jump a little earlier as they get the, the NBA attention here, but sticking around hell Jalen Brunson stayed for three years, very clearly the the development Brandon Slater is an awesome way to look at it for progression. Yeah. But that being said, I do think much more than this year, freshman will be relied on next year. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. We'll, we'll put it that way. Goes into a, another question, kind of referenced it a little bit there. Do you think Villanova goes to the transfer portal to try and bring someone in? And it's a question that was kind of asked to us by by Big Tasty. We had uh, Kristen asked us a question on that. It it really is. I think it's at the forefront of everyone's mind is seeing how the the transfer portals really run wild in college basketball right now. Yeah, and. We mentioned it on Tuesday. Villanova was, I believe it was one of four schools in all of college basketball division one that did not get a, a transfer this year. Again, correct. don't hold me to that. That was just off nope, the top you're of right. my head, but yep, that is correct. right. Okay. UCLA was another big one. So you have that backdrop too, knowing that Villanova didn't get a transfer when that was the hot commodity. The roster looked different this year than it will next year. I do think Moore's injury will be a huge reason why they at least look and survey their options. Not that they didn't this past year, but I think because of Moore's absence, they will look and at least try to get a backup ball handler. If they do transition Daniels into that starting ball to handler mode, I think they want somebody else besides Chris Arch that they can really rely on and has some proven minutes under his belt. That being said, I don't think it's a super high profile player. 
No, I I don't think they're gonna get the the highest of high pro. Like Andre Kerbalo is probably a, yes. a big one coming out uh, from Illinois. Yes. I a I don't think he's a fit with this Villanova team. He shoots under twenty percent from three and turns the ball over a lot. And I just, mm-hmm. as you said, with that, I I, I think Villanova goes in a, a different direction here. Jay Wright kind of talked about his transfer philosophy not all that long ago, and I found it really interesting. Where part of why they go away from transfers a little bit is because. When you, of course, acquire, we'll say, a, a player through a transfer, they have established habits, you know, coming mm. out, out of some, some more time in their game and spending it in college with these different coaches here. Villanova wants to get these players in early and get them in young because then they're able to mold them the way that they want to. It's why it's so important. It's why some of these freshmen sit. It's why it takes some time uh, for players to really fit into the system because Villanova plays in such a specific way. So interesting to look at it there, especially then when you flip it on, you know, they have hit the transfer portal market, however you want to look at it over the last couple of years. Eric Pascal, of course, was very successful. A very successful is probably not even giving him enough credit for yeah, how good one of a of transfer best players. Yeah. Pascal was. Caleb Daniels, of course, transfer as well, coming in for Tulane. And Joe Cremo was the one in very recent memory that didn't really work out. Um, for them there. But I do think that Jay is going to look to the transfer portal just because with Justin Moore going out, I, I do think they need another guard on this team to add a little bit of depth there. I'm excited about Mark Armstrong. I'm excited about what, what Angelo Brizzy could potentially be in there. But yeah. I, I do think they go guard. Um, two potential options that I looked at. Mark Sears is an interesting name from Ohio, had a very nice season there. And Jalen Llewellyn, is a is one from Princeton as well, where it just it seems like reading more and more about him. I'd love to tell you I watched a ton. I did not. It's just been a lot of <laughs> a lot of reading on him. He seems like the type of player that I could see as a Villanova fit. And the fact that John Rothstein tweeted out that Villanova has been in contact with Llewellyn. Um, Villanova doesn't hit the transfer portal all that often. So when they are interested, I think there's probably a little bit of smoke to it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And I don't think they're putting out 50 offers. I think they're going to target a very small amount of guys and really push for those guys. And when you think about what makes Villanova Villanova, you think about the tempo. Now you think about good free throws shooting. You think about three-point shooters. You think about good, strong defensive players. That only attracts a certain type of person. Yes. So it's just... There's a lot of different factors there. It's not just that Villanova is one of the premier college basketball programs in the country. You have to have the type of style that fits Villanova. Jay Wright will not pick you up off out of the portal just because you're a good scorer. That's not what's going to happen. Locality, I think, is another point. It, it doesn't is. surprise me that Llewellyn is from Princeton because I also think they go from a smaller pool based on location. Caleb Daniels is outside of that, but Cremo and Pascal. We're both in New York. I think Cremo was Albany, right? Correct. Cremo, Albany, and, and Pascal Fordham. Was Fordham. Yeah. So that's a smaller pool. So I, I truly believe they will go the route of target, targeting a few people, offering a few people that they believe will have success in the program that Villanova runs to perfection. Love it. I, uh, they won't I, change for everybody. <laughs> they won't I, change for no. anybody. That person will have to change for Villanova. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting because we know it's not something Jay uses often, but I think under the mm-hmm. circumstances, you may see one this year. Uh, you yeah. kind of you referenced it. I know we have two questions left here. You kind of referenced it before talking about the out-of-conference schedule. 
I wonder as they build the 2022, 23 Mm. schedule, do you want it to be as difficult as the schedule that they endured this past season? That's a really good question. That is a really, really good question. I don't think that this team will go as far as this past team did. Mm -hmm. It's a different makeup. It's a different makeup. And I don't think this team, and by this team, I mean next year's team is seasoned enough to endure some of the matchups that Colin Gillespie and a Jermaine Samuels led Villanova team did. Yeah, I, I agree in the, where I loved how difficult the schedule was this year. Mm-hmm. Cause I do think it helped really battle test them it out. I still want a difficult out of conference right. schedule, but I'm not sure that this team, you know, it, 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 as you said, they lose Gillespie and Samuels, two of the biggest yeah. leaders on top of it as well. So it, it's hard to ask them to go to UCLA, to Baylor. I'd love to see a premier opponent, and I'd love to see it be in Philadelphia, you know, at Wells yeah, Fargo, instead of sending this team across the country to travel for it. So, well, yes, I still like to see a harder out-of-conference schedule. I think it really plays in on Selection Sunday. It's very important for seeding and all things like that. Um, I It'd be nice if we had one of those games at home. <laughs> that was the most underrated storyline of the entire non-conference schedule, that they had to go to Waco, that they had to go to UCLA. That that, that makes it about 10 million times harder. A little bit. And, and I Purdue just don't and Tennessee think this, were neutral. Right. I don't think this team is as mentally strong as that team. Nothing on Dixon Slater or Daniels if all those guys come back. But without Colin – Jay Wright literally called Colin Gillespie the best leader he's ever had. Losing that is a huge blow mentally, physically, spiritually, everything. Yeah, for for sure. And and speaking of Colin Gillespie, last question here before we hit some mailbag stuff. What do you think of any potential NBA draft outlook for Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels? I want to hear your thoughts first on this one. Sure. Um, Jermaine Samuels, I do not see as an NBA prospect. I I do think there's a chance he could go overseas somewhere, which Mm -hmm. would be awesome. I also know for Jermaine, he's just such an interesting person he could catch on to anything. I know he loves yeah. creativity. He loves being an artist. So there's no guarantee Jermaine even goes, you know, basketball route out of this uh, with just how cool personality he has. So that's something to look at there. Colin Gillespie, I do not think is going to get a draft look just because of how the NBA functions and is not a way that I agree with, but the NBA loves bringing in 18, 19 year olds uh, and they look for, you know, crazy athleticism and all things like that. So I would be surprised if, if Colin Gillespie was drafted in the second round, I think it would be awesome, but I would be surprised if he was. I do, however, think he's got a shot to get a tryout for a summer league team and, and mm. see what happens there and maybe stick on to the G League and, and do a very similar approach to how Ryan Archidiakono caught on in the NBA. So I think Colin's got a shot to make it. I just think it's going to be a little bit of a harder route. I've been thinking so much about the Villanova players in the NBA. And then the guys like Booth and even at this point, Spellman and Pascal and um, who was the last guy? And Arch and Ryan Archidiakono. I think Colin Gillespie will get a shot simply because he was the best leader that Villanova ever had. I I think NBA scouts and coaches and everybody in the league knows the type of player that Jay Wright builds. And they want that type of guy on their team, whether it be the, NBA or the G League or a summer league or wherever else it might be. I do believe Colin Gillespie gets a shot because he is so composed, because he is a good leader. He's so smart. And you saw what happened to Jalen Brunson. Nobody mm-hmm. thought 
that Jalen Brunson would have any type of professional career. Nobody thought that Dante would have any type of professional career. They hot, they, they tested the waters when it was hot, especially for Dante. And also the same type of season for Jalen Brunson, except a little bit of a higher level than Colin. But I think he will get a shot just because the Villanova pedigree has proven so successful lately. And one of the best stats ever that I know, Jay Wright, just there could not be a better stat for Jay Wright than there have been two players in the NBA that have played in every single hmm. game this year. And guess who they are? Oh, I know who they are. They are Sadiq Bay and Mikael Bridges. That is not a coincidence, people. By the way, the athletic called Sadiq Bay the best three-point shooter in Detroit Pistons history. Oh, my God. Yes. Seriously? Saw, saw that come out. Uh, it was either today or, or yesterday on it. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. You have more confidence in it than I do, just knowing how the NBA likes to evaluate these players. Uh, I, I strongly disagree with it, and, and I, but I do think that's a card against Colin there. I hope he gets a shot, mm-hmm. um, but I, I don't have the utmost confidence. I, I, the, I, for me, best case scenario is one of those tryouts over the summer yeah. and seeing where things can go. There's also so much with these 10 day contracts. Now, I guess it was a little bit more common with COVID with so many guys being out and there are more roster spots. That's kind of what Ryan Archidiakono's contract was like. The Knicks were down players. They needed somebody. They ended up signing him and it worked out. So you never know what the situation are going to be like when a team might need a guy like Colin, who's just used to winning because that's what Villanova's MO is like in the past few years. Yeah, no, it, it certainly is, but ready for some mailbag to wrap this up. Let's do it. You couldn't handle it on Tuesday and last week, but it is finally here, Pat. It is the last mailbag of the season. It is the, it is the last one. We have finally hit it. Um, and as we've honestly already hit a bunch of questions um, yeah. that have been asked through here. So uh, we'll hit kind of some of the remaining ones. Uh, Big Tasty and Jerry both kind of asking about Eric Dixon. Uh, Tasty going with, you know, asking about how Eric Dixon stacks up against big men uh, for Jay Wright over the past couple seasons. Jerry asking more about how much more can we expect in Eric Dixon's game next season? I'll take Jerry's first. I think it'll be again, more than we expect. I think he'll continue to grow physically and mentally. And as he gets more responsibilities with less pure shooters on the team, Villanova's game plan will change. Once again, Jay Wright will show that he can adapt Once again, Villanova will probably push the paint more next year than they will have done in the last few previous years. So I think Dixon will have a huge role. I I do believe that Dixon can be one of the best best big men, especially without Nate Watson. I I believe he's graduating. Feels like he's been there forever, right? This was his fifth year. (laughs) That's what they say about Colin Gillespie. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Colin was even worse. This was definitely Nate Watson's fifth year. So the Big East landscape will, of course, look a little different. Justin Manaya also as a side note. Is entering the NBA draft. So that's an interesting development for Providence. But I yes. think I think Eric Dixon has a very bright future in the Big East, to say the least. Uh, as do I. Um, so I, I think that he's going to become even more of a focal point kind of for this team moving forward, especially losing the scoring of Colin Gillespie and, uh, and what Jermaine was able to do kind of down the stretch here. I, I do believe Dixon is going to factor in even more next season. So quite excited to see the strides he can make there. And in terms of rankings, you know, across some other big men. I mean, you've still got your, your Jeremiah's and Amari are, are certainly mm-hmm. above him. I'm not sure Dixon can get to the heights of those two players too. I mean, remember Amari Spellman is a national champion um, and, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl 
uh, an NBA draft pick, a Big East player of the year, all things like that. That is not a slight against Eric Dixon whatsoever. Um, I, I think he slots in behind them, but most certainly has the ability to, uh, to try and move up that list. Yeah, feel the same way. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, we hit basically Jerry's or Big Tasty's other question. We hit Jerry's other question, so I leave you with one from Jerry. With the talent coming in, returning players, when will you be booking your final four tickets for 2023? Oh, my God, I love it. I love I, that confidence. I Jerry, love it, too. it sounds like Jerry's already doing it. I can appreciate that. I think so, too. So shout out, I guess, going down to Houston already for, uh, for 2023. <laughs> Next year, Jerry also tweeted us a, a picture. Of, of his experience down in New Orleans, which I nice. love, Jerry. That was yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's nice so to put you. some names to faces. Very yeah, cool. No, that, that was great to see. So thank you for sending that in. Uh, question coming in from Kristen. With Gillespie and Samuels graduating and more injured, who replaces them as leaders? That's a good question. That's something we haven't talked about. Yeah, I love it. I think mo- she did mention more injured, right? Yeah, with mm-hmm. more injured, I still think he will play a huge leadership. He had been the quote-unquote killer on the court going into this season. I think now that he's injured, he'll have more of a behind-the-scenes role, but he'll still be the most seasoned guy on this team in terms of winning and and success. I do think if Daniels comes back, he will be that guy. Yep. Daniels and Slater, specifically. Just the experience they have. It, the baton is is passed so seamlessly year after year. I never worry that there isn't going to be a leader on any Villanova team. There is always a guy that steps into that role. Sure. It's just about how fast players have to grow up. You know, thinking yeah. of, say, like Colin and Jermaine when they were the oldest players on the team as juniors um, yeah. a, a couple years ago. I think part of why Daniel's coming back is so vital is because he will be the guy as the leader. Mm-hmm. For this team, if he's back, you know, emotionally, we see how how charged he is every single game. Uh, I, I love his attitude. I I think he is the perfect leader to kind of try and take things forward for them. So more so than just how talented he is and how important he is on the court. I think he's a big leader and would be a massive piece for them to be able to return. Yep. Feel the same way. Sweet. Going to Jack McCall, then which freshman would you like to see have the biggest impact next season? Mm. Uh, I'm going to go with Cam Whitmore and Mm -hmm. only because we've seen the most out of him. And I think he has the most eye popping highlight real stuff. I mentioned that when we were talking about play of the year and you, you brought up Slater. I think what we've seen from Cam Whitmore, he can be a game changer and that's not taking away from Housen and Armstrong. I just know a little bit less about those two guys. Sure. I I think Housen has a chance to be a red shirt next yes, season ju- just yeah. depending on, on depth and, and how things are going to work out there mark armstrong also very excited for have seen plenty of highlights of him and that man is an athletic freak as well which is really exciting honestly for villanova to continue adding to a, a bit of a pool of athleticism now um mm-hmm. to come from from the guards but yes of course the answer has to be cam whitmore i watched the guy at the mcdonald's all-american game <laughs> it is tantalizing to think about what he can do um uh, at Villanova. So of course has to be my answer. It's the easy yeah. one, but it's, it's the big one. Yeah. Yeah. The second question from him is more of a personality ones for us as we finish out here. What are your favorite sports and non-sports related podcasts that you listen to? Oh, I love that. I do too. <sighs> my favorite this season actually became Ion college basketball from Ion CBS Co- Very good. Yep. I listened to yeah, that too. Matt Norland during Gary Parrish are so good. Um, I'm going to out myself here. I didn't even want to do this but i'm a huge bachelor fan so i listen to bachelor podcasts wow i'm sorry how, how could you I'm sorry 
as everybody unsubscribes. Please don't. Um, do I listen to any other podcasts? ESPN Daily is good. I like listening to that. I mean, you and I will start listening to a ton of baseball podcasts now yeah, as we transition to seasons. A lot of baseball for Pat and myself. No, certainly. I I love the athletics podcasts that they put out um, for like their their baseball show, their soccer show are, are really nice how they rotate. So I'm I'm a big fan of things like that. If you're looking for non-sports, I like CNBC puts out a nice finance podcast. Uh, revisionist history can be really interesting oh, yeah. for, for some of them to listen to. Uh, big podcast guy here. So uh, I won't bore you with my Mets Liverpool Giants <laughs> podcast. That's uh, that's the easiest way I can put it. <laughs> yeah. And if, if you are a baseball fan, only because Pat and I both absolutely love this. Ben Ryder is an Astros writer. Yes. He released a podcast. I think it was two years ago at this point. It's about the Astros sign stealing scandal. It's called The Edge. I think it's a seven or eight podcast series. It's phenomenal. And it goes it's so, so deep into that whole scandal. So if you're into that stuff, definitely check it out. Yeah, it's so good. And then we have Rob Anselm to take us home here with a couple of questions here. Great to see Rob back. I know he's asked a ton of questions throughout the season. First question, do you want Gonzaga in the Big East and put a percentage on how likely you think it is to happen? The rumors. People are eating up the rumors, Pat. They are. Objectively, yes, I would love to see them in the Big East. I would put 30% on it. I think it's low because of all the logistical concerns that would go into it, mostly location, travel, sure, and makes sense, and that whole thing. I think it would be huge for the conference. I think it would be huge for Gonzaga. I think both sides would win, but for other sports besides basketball that you also have to think about, mm-hmm. that's a big ask oh, just for a, a team all the way in Spokane. Yeah, so I do want Gonzaga in the Big East. I think it would be awesome to uh, to add them in. I have a very similar thought to you on percentage-wise. I'll put mine at like 25%, just understanding yeah. the challenges. I think uh, geography has become less and less of a hurdle as conference realignment continues to happen. So I, I it's possible. Uh, I'm just not sure with how you know far off it is that it would, uh, it'll happen. But I'd love it yeah. if it did. It'd be so, huge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> fun one here. New state of the Nova Nation hosts versus the old ones. Who wins on 2v2 basketball? Who wins on beer pong? It's a difficult question, man. I don't know how tall Chris is. Oh, that's a good question. But there's a chance that I'm taller than everybody. I would say my goal if we're playing is I'm just going (laughs) to dump it down to you and get the hell out of the way every single time. Because I'm taller than Eugene, too. So I don't know how tall Chris is, but we might have a good chance against them in basketball if Chris isn't too tall, Pat. Emma is our Eric Dixon down in the paint. So I'm just going to feed her on on that Uh, beer pong. I. I'd be an interesting one as well. I know, yeah. I know Eugene likes his Dr. Peppers just as I yeah, do, just I as you do. No, no, so- I would be the wink. <laughs> yeah. But it would definitely be a fun one. And last question from him. What will you do now until the next podcast? Oh my God. Should we tell him Pat? Should we tell the people? <laughs> sure. Pat and I have been podcasting oh, man. for at least two episodes a week since November of 2020. Yeah. So we, we've mentioned on this show, we had our old podcast. Did you hear that transition to this podcast during the Villanova season? And we will be taking a break. We will be taking a break from podcasting so that next year we can come back at the end of October and be totally refreshed. We are both huge baseball fans. That will be our main focus just from a pleasure perspective. I work in baseball now, so mm-hmm. I have that too. But I just moved. I'm in New Jersey yeah. now. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, of course, sad the season is over. I, I definitely will miss podcasting, 
but it'll be nice to have a little bit of a break. Yeah, it'll be weird to not be recording mm-hmm. minimum twice a week, you know, mm-hmm. every week as we have done for the last 18 months, but certainly looking forward to, to get a little refresh there. And same thing, I'll be working, you know, I'll go to as many baseball games as I can. I've got, you know, my, that, I watch a lot of sports. We'll put it that way. So <laughs> that's my plan. Just, you know, kind of go through things there and, and looking forward to it. Yeah. And the absolute best part of Rob Amson's tw- tweet. Is that they wrote hags and this love, does feel like so the long. end of the school year it does yeah. it kind of does it kind of does so i love that he I wrote love that, that. <laughs> yeah i think somebody else left us a nice message too yes um what's it oh ardax said that yeah enjoy the off season and your other interests thank you no, appreciate it to everyone <laughs> thank so, you we are more than just villanova basketball we are it doesn't seem like it <laughs> <laughs> that's just most of our being but <laughs> i yeah i guess that leads us into our thank you then Oh yeah, I did. When we were going through these questions and I was thinking about the season, it, it did get a little bit emotional, just where we are now from where Pat and I started in November of 2020. Like we said, we could not have dreamed this is what we would be doing. We owe it all to Chris and Eugene as always. Thank you both so much for giving us this opportunity. And of course we couldn't have done it without all the people who have listened especially with how well Villanova did and how far they made it. Thank you to every single person who listened to even a second of Pat and I speak. We cannot Mm. tell you how much we appreciate it. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate the questions, the regulars, John, Jerry, Jack, Big Tasty, Rob Ensom. Thank you so much to everybody who listened, everybody who engaged with us. We are so lucky and so happy to be doing this because to us, we're just we just get to talk about Villanova basketball. Yeah. And that's something we would do anyway. So to get to do this for VU Hoops is just an amazing opportunity. It's been pretty cool. So yeah, as just to echo what Emma said, thank you to everyone for listening along with us this year. 41 episodes worth of listening wow. to us. Uh, it's been cr- pretty crazy. Uh, you know, as you all know, this was year one for us. It was a new experience. It was a new challenge for us. But, you know, we could not have been happier with how things have turned out and, and cannot thank you all enough for, for your support throughout the season and the crazy amount of you that I've been listening lately. It has been just, mm. just so cool and, and interacting with all you guys. A thank you as well to our awesome guests this season, Yes, you know, from Alan Ray to John Fanna to Johnny Velo, Brendan Riley, Chris and Rob. Um, and then of course, you know, a, a thank you, the biggest thank you of all going to, to Chris and Eugene for all their support throughout the season, giving us the opportunity, allowing us to carry the baton. Eugene came on the show, which was great to have him back on. Uh, those guys are the best. And, and, you know, obviously we are not doing this without all the, all the work they put in over the years to set this thing up. So a massive thank you to them and a massive thank you to all of you. Yeah. Another shout out to Mike J at BU Hoops. Thank you for your behind the scenes work. Really appreciate that. We got a lot of inspo from Brandon Riley too. A lot of site work from him that has been so good. Golden age of Villanova content Mm. as the Villanova tip time likes to say. I love that line. And be sure to continue to subscribe to the show because we will be taking a break, but we are leaving it open to have a quick little one-off episode, just a little bit of a reminder that we're here whenever some big news happens for Villanova, whether it's NBA draft, whether it's a transfer, hopefully it's not an injury, but we'll be back at some point throughout, throughout the off season before we hit our season previews back in the end of, uh, end of October. Yeah. 
Yeah, we just love to give you guys a surprise and come out of nowhere with a, a quick little yeah. episode at, at, <laughs> at points over the summer. We'll show so. up in your feed. <laughs> exactly. So keep a lookout for that. But all right. Uh, for one last time, then that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com all offseason long to keep you in the know for everything Villanova basketball related. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and follow us on Twitter at Pod. We'll be back at it at some point. But until then, thanks again, everyone, for listening throughout the season. And for one final time on Season 7, Nova Nation. That's a wrap. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.